<laughs> welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, Robert, for being here. How are you? It's my pleasure. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Well, it's another day uh, for AI, where I'm very excited about everything AI related, machine learning related, life in general related. Uh, and I have an awesome, awesome uh, subject matter expertise in you know uh, semiconductor chips and fabs. Uh, and I have my favorite guy in the world right now is Lucky, you know, who's been, uh, you know, talking about this AI machine learning with me nonstop. And he heard me say machine learning, AI and hardware over and over. And yeah. today's episode, we have somebody literally subject matter expert on the hardware topics when it comes to AI machine learning. Um, because without semiconductor chips, there is no AI ML, right? Um, let's get that loud and clear, right? You gotta have semiconductor chips that is out of this world in order to be successful in AI machine learning. So with that, uh, Robert, please make an introduction. How you doing? So my name is Robert Quinn. Um, I am a LinkedIn semiconductor industry content provider. I um, I'm somewhat of a social media influencer on LinkedIn. I have about 38,000 followers, and I've had about 8 million views last year on my uh, on my LinkedIn. So I write and talk about the semiconductor industry. I've, uh, as formerly, I have spent about 24 years working in the semiconductor industry as an engineer. And so I've traveled the world working on the coolest equipment in the world, um, I've, from atomic layer deposition to chemical vapor deposition and all the different processes that we use to make these microprocessors. And, uh, and it's, it's, a, been a, it's been an incredible um, career. Um, and we have a lot of things that we're working on in there and within the industry, but yeah, it's, um, it, it's been good. I've, I'm also, uh, the founder of a new, uh, a new nonprofit, um, called Simu. Uh, Simu is a nonprofit organization that is bringing education and knowledge of the semiconductor industry to the next generation. Um, we have some serious issues within within the semiconductor industry right now. Um, right now, we have the average age for senior engineering in semiconductor is about 52 years old. Um, and there are very few people in the pipeline. Uh, everybody wants to be that software engineer right now. So there's very few people in the pipeline within the universities to fill those positions. And we are, um, everybody from Washington, D.C. to all the way down is looking at this as a very serious issue. Uh, we need to staff about four, doubling the size of the industry in the next eight years. And um, we're seeing these problems coming all the way down. Uh, from Everybody from Washington, D.C. and all the way down is looking at this as a, a big issue. So I started a nonprofit organization to try to educate and excite the next generation about the semiconductor industry and uh, bring that knowledge and, and fun to the industry and, and so that we we can get these next these kids um, excited about working in the semiconductor industry to produce these chips that we're going to need to run the world. Right. So, so, sounds like uh, lucky we have our uh, guest that will have to return every week because <laughs> we need to talk <laughs> about this every week from now on. <laughs> so lucky, what do you think? Uh, semiconductor chips. Wow. Well, before I get started, I just want to say, ay, 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 ay. <laughs> don't forget you that. Know, Today is like, it's not like, it's the first day of our, at least our, our podcast with the new guest of the year. So this is our first podcast of the year. And uh, I, I really, I'm really glad that you're here and we're, we're hitting off the year with somebody that's an expert in semiconductor chips. Cause the reality is there's a, there's a, a drastic shortage in chips and we can't move technology without the hardware. And so I'm really excited you know, to have you on the show on the, on the, as a guest today on the podcast. And I'm really uh, excited to learn about, you know, what you have to provide today. So, you know, I have several questions, but I know Asif, he's been waiting for you to be on this show because we always go a little bit on the right to the side of the hardware. And typically we stay on the software side and we follow the OSI model somewhat. It's good to have somebody on the hardware side, on the physical layer. So welcome. Love it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So uh, without, you know, uh, further getting into it. So, you know, uh, tell us what you think, where we are right now in semiconductor chips, uh, in, you know, as far as what's going on in the White House uh, with Chips Act 
and then what's happening in the world. But we only have so much limited time. So, you know, I'll let you start and, and give us your thoughts on all these topics. There is so much going on right now. Uh, the industry has absolutely exploded in the last couple of years. Um, obviously, we went through COVID, which just amplified the industry um, and, you know, caused these shortages within with chips. Um, I was, uh, we, we have also, uh, in gosh, I think we're just in the United States where um, we have about $200 billion of private equity being invested right now in the semiconductor industry. Um, there is, uh, there's many more hundreds of billions of dollars being invested around the world. Um, the semiconductor industry has just gone leaps and bounds and just in the last two years um, with lots of investment. Um, there is new technology that's coming out. Obviously you're in the AI world. Um, I was, I'm actually working with, um, through my nonprofit, I also um, like to talk to excite the new kids, the kids about, um, about the technology and what we're working on in the semiconductor industry. And one of the most advanced chips that we were, that we're working on right now that the, the world is, has just produced is made by a company called Cerevis. And they make a single chip that is one wafer. It's 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 enormous. It's um, it's the cut in a square, and it is 2.6 trillion transistors on a single chip. It's seven nanometer technology, and it's 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 going to be used for artificial intelligence and smart. Um, uh, you know, we're working with smart, smart computers and artificial intelligence, but um, it is, I, I believe Dojo is using it. Do you know, do you know who Dojo is using? Tesla's Dojo? Yeah, yeah, I believe that they're using this, this, this design as well. Um, but um, they're sending me a demo. So I'm super excited about that. I, I'm supposed to be getting it today, but I like to talk to these kids and, and I, I show them this, uh, this chip, this single chip that's this big. And, um, and, you know, I, I, I'd like to also display to them a transistor bulb. If you remember the transistor bulbs that we used to have in the fifties, you know, that's, and, that was the grandfather of semiconductor chips. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a single transistor. And now we're putting 2.6 trillion transistors on the, on, on a single chip. And we're, you, we're making these transistors, the gates within these transistors are now, um, not that one, but some of the new technology that's coming out uh, with EUV is three nanometers in size. That's 21 atoms wide. We're stacking atoms to make transistors. It's incredible. The new technology that's coming out and the way that it's coming out so, so rapidly and so fast. Um, I was telling my kids the other day, my, my kids were like, oh, okay, two... 2.6 trillion transistors. I was like, okay, let me explain something to you. Count to 1 trillion. And they're like, oh, that'd take a long time. And they're like, how long would, how long do you think it would take to count to 1 trillion? Try 31,000 years. <laughs> That's how long it would take you to count to a trillion. So we're putting 2.6 trillion transistors on a single chip um, to put that into perspective. It's it's mind blowing, but there's so much that's going on with the industry, and we we need to um, we need to be able to excite this next generation uh, to get get them involved in in this semiconductor industry because this is going to run. The, the semiconductor industry is going to run the world um, with, you know, all the new technology that's coming out. So I'm, I'm super excited about it because um, there's a, a lot coming out and a lot going on right now. So, so the reason we say I, 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 is to show our excitement about what's happening in the machine learning world. But at this point, I have to amplify my voice, like how lucky does it, right? Like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> because everything you just said is so exciting and so to the point because um if if we are developing ai machine learning it's very important that not only do we develop this ai machine learning but we have a buy-in from the users buy-in from the people that will be impacted by that ai machine learning so uh, multiple times in this podcast we've talked about digital natives and digital immigrants and digital uh, refugees, you know, people that have been negatively impacted somewhat uh, by the digital revolution, people that are born into the digital world, and people like me who was a digital immigrant who had to 
convert everything from the piece of paper and writing into that world of uh, digital PDF files, you know? Um, <laughs> I mean, at one point in my life, I just never wanted to see PDF file ever again, but here we are still dealing with PDF. But, you know, one of the ways to make the digital, uh, uh, the presence, whatever the presence you have, is either the, as an immigrant or refugee or as a native, is to make that digital experience so realistic, as in make it happen in real time, right? Uh, and I dropped that PDF for an example, because PDF is one of those obstacles in your daily uses of internet. That, that brings that hurdle of like, why do I have to have PDF? Why do I have to have it on Microsoft Word? Why is it not all simultaneously happening in my laptop, right? It's because your data are so structured in a way that they cannot co-mingle, right? So if you have a 2.6 trillion uh, data sets that are able to be processed, right? The word is processed, process those data that you have in PDF, MS Word or somewhere in the back of your laptop, if you're able to process all those data simultaneously, which is not 2.6 trillion, by the way, it is probably like few millions or billions, whatever the case is, you will have an amazing experience when you log into your laptop because your internet is fascinating. Now imagine your laptop is as good as your internet experience, right? You're able yeah. to do things simultaneously without having any interruption, right? Um, yeah. That's what semiconductor chips is. So anybody who's listening thinking, what does semiconductor chips have anything to do with AIML? Well, the first thing first, semiconductor chips will process the data for you and how it processes the data, how much can it process once let me pause there. How much data can it process all at once is how it impacts your experience in either internet or in the laptop, right? Or your desktop or your supercomputer or whatever you have. Um, not everybody uses that much data all at once. We necessarily don't, but because of AI machine learning, because the AI machine learning has to provide you with the type of services that you're not experienced <laughs> Right, um, and and I go back to the Iron Man example where you have Jarvis that is talking back to you, just like a real person and real time, giving you real instructions and real getting the real task done for you. So that Jarvis requires a whole lot of data processing, and when you have that data processing happening within that a small gate, right, small gate of semiconductor chips, that gate, uh, you know, cannot process that much information all at once. Mm -hmm. But if it does, then you'll have Jarvis. Then you have that ability to say like, you know, if I ask you a question, say so for example, Jarvis, Alexa, or Siri, Siri doesn't have to jump into the internet, go all the way to Silicon Valley, process that information and get that back to you, right? It will do it on site, as in literally right in front of you. It will process that information real time in, in your device. Um, as you can tell, my voice is like going high pitch at this point because I'm super, super excited about this topic. Because when you said 2.6 trillion, that is a that is a number that everybody needs to understand because that's how much data we will process simultaneously at once. Right now, we process tons of data, mm -hmm. but 2.6 trillion is like a next level. Um, um, so just to add more to uh, everything you've mentioned about the size, you know, we talk about 90 nm. And then we just talked about seven NM at this point with 2.6 trillion. And you also mentioned two NM. Um, by the time you go past two NM, you don't even have a number to name it anymore. You're just pretty much saying, it's a chip that is freaking out of this world. That's what we're going to call it. <laughs> and that's what we are working on right now. Intel, right? In US, they're developing this technology, the fab to build these type of uh, semiconductor chips that you can just don't have to even number it anymore. Just call it the fastest chips you have ever invented since that light bulb that we used to use in back in the 50s, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, let me take a breath there. That is a whole lot of information, but very good stuff, you know? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm super excited about it. And the, the technology that we're using today to create these chips is incredible. Um, we have a new technology that just came out. So about, I say just came out, it's last five years um there's a a technology called euv and uh euv will we kind of reached a bottleneck in the semiconductor industry when we were down to like five nanometers 
and they really couldn't get past um it was five to seven nanometers they couldn't really get past that and they couldn't figure out how they were going to continue to follow moore's law and you know and, and bring this this the sizes down smaller um until a um a company uh, asml came out with a new euv tool and euv is incredible technology it's um the the way that this tool is is, is, is amazing but it allows us to bring it down to, they said EUV allows us to bring it down to one nanometer. And then beyond that, we change architecture and we do start just doing, you know, uh, 2D, 3D, you know, uh, packaging where we're packing, we're stacking chips and we're doing other, other architectural changes um, to be able to increase the um, productivity of, of the chips. And so, um, and, and so that's, that's another that's another technology that's that's um, really interesting, but the I work with these kids a, a lot. I just recently actually went to, I took ten high school kids to the University of Texas lab, the uh, MRC lab at University of Texas, and that was really fun. I got to uh, we got to go in, we got to sit down, talk to them about semiconductors, and explain uh, how cool they are. And uh, and then we took them into the lab and we, you know, showed them all the equipment. We, you know, started up some tools, struck some plasma, showed them what, you know, what the plasma looks like. And uh, it, it's fun. I, and I, I during the classroom time, I kind of sit down and I explain to the kids and say, listen, this equipment that we're working on, it pumps down to a vacuum that's 10 e to the negative 9 nanotor. That's that's equal to deep space vacuum. Then we're injecting a plasma that's as hot as the surface of the sun. And then through this, through different processes like EU, like physical vapor deposition, atomic layer deposition, and, and, and chemical vapor deposition, and all these different processes that we do to make these chips, uh, we're now able to make these gates at, you know, three nanometers. And, and so, I, you know, explain it to them and kind of put it into the, their perspective of, you know, what is, what is, you know, three nanometers? Okay, that's 21 atoms wide. What is, what is, you know, what does 10 e to the negative nine nanotor mean to you? It's, it's deep space vacuum. Everybody knows what those mean. And so they, you know, it, it kind of gets them excited about the industry, but um, this equipment is, is, super neat it's really fun to work on and um i've i've spent my career working working on this equipment and uh it's there was a uh i was i was working at a fab um here in, in austin and uh, we have a row called billion dollar row uh, because <laughs> that row of tools is a billion dollars of equipment um they, they are very expensive and uh they i i believe the new euv tools are $350 million around there somewhere um, each. And so they're the, the cost of, of these fabs and the amount of money that it takes to run these facilities is incredible. I think um, Samsung Austin that they're going to build in Austin is going to be a $20 billion facility. I, I was, I was seven, just seven, about to hit on that. Was billion just about to that. Yeah. 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 Because when ASML provides you with the semiconductor chips maker, they're sending you a pod or a boot that is like, you know, the size of a truck, like semi, um, a semi-truck, right? So, you know, once they drop it off and then you're building your you know, semiconductor chips, um, it's not all happening at one place. There's so many different logistics happening. And that's what gets me so excited, the supply chain planning of it, the supply chain management, the supply chain difficulty, the supply chain nightmares, right? All the supply chains behind semiconductor chips is amazing. And we are developing the semiconductor chips sooner than later uh, in US, right? We, we have Samsung, like you said, in Austin. Uh, we have Texas Instrument up in Sherman, uh, where we are in Dallas, Texas. Um, you know, and then Idaho, Ohio, um, uh, Arizona for Intel, right? Um, these are some promising, promising aspects for next five years to come. But what I would like to point out as it's happening is that if we don't, Let's just slow down this AIML revolution talk right away because you cannot have AIML promises fulfilled in next years, uh, years to come, without the semiconductor chips being highly innovative and way ahead of its time because there's uh, a, a supply chain nightmare and the supply chain management that needs to happen. And it needs to happen within states, not overseas, as mm -hmm. in 
If you have an AI machine learning capability that you are developing, but you need a semiconductor chip specifically manufactured for that, you cannot rely on India or China to manufacture that for you six or seven months later. You have to design that, manufa- uh, that, that, that AI ML semiconductor chips and have that manufactured next date over so a, a, a engineer can drive his Prius to that, uh, <laughs> to that, to that um, uh, fab um, you know, and pick it up, right? And say, you know, we have it. We designed it yesterday and within three days or three months, we have our uh, developed uh, semiconductor chip, right? Yeah. That is being built on ASML pod. Um, mm-hmm. Describe a little bit about the fab process. I think a lot of people are aware of manufacturing plants, but they don't really call it a fab. Um, you know, this, you know, describe a little bit about the fab process. So, so the one the one part of that is that the semiconductor industry is so intertwined globally. Um, I, I was just in uh, Germany last month. Uh, I'm flying to Oman next month. Um, it, it just, there are so many things going on around the globe. It is so intertwined. Um, this, these cell phones that we carry every day, I think if you broke it down to like the minerals that are within your cell phone, it takes about 25 countries to produce that, that cell phone. Um, everything from the neon gas that's used, uh, in, in the, within the semiconductor industry, that's largely comes from places like Ukraine, um, to magnets that come from China. Um, the, the, the semiconductor industry is greatly hinged on a global network of, of countries kind of coming together and, and, being able to work together to be able to make these these chips. Now the technology is 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 highly hinged on on the American technology and how we're uh, trying to be the leaders of the world as far as um, developing this technology and being able to. Um, but right now, as we sit, um, the only people that can produce a three nanometer or a, yeah, a three nanometer technology is TSMC in Taiwan. Uh, they, and they are building, uh, the, the, the Samsung fab will be an EUV fab. The TSMC fab in Arizona will be an EUV fab. So all, all these, we're building the fabs in the United States right now, but I, I'm, unfortunately it will take a little bit longer than people think, uh, to build these fabs. We're looking at about four years uh, to be able to get these fabs up and running because another thing is is that you can buy these machines you can put the fat you can put the equipment inside of it and you can start running all this equipment put the people inside of it and spend the billions of dollars to get it up and running now you have to perfect your recipe um, because every one of these machines has a very uh, specific recipe so um, companies like uh, Samsung, who are getting into the the EUV um, industry, are going to have a, a bit of a learning curve. Obviously, companies like TSMC, who have have already perfected, um, you know, doing this smaller technology in Taiwan, they'll be able to duplicate what they're doing in the United States as well and, and get it up up and running a lot faster. But um, the the fab industry is is very it's it's incredible like how how we're going but there's many different aspects to it as well um you see you hear about there's different divisions and so you you think about the divisions of um power semiconductors um power semiconductors are large technology it's old old technology um but they're now being now producing we we found a a problem with silicon uh, the problem with silicon is that whenever you put apply too much heat to it, uh, the electrons start jumping across gates and they start doing funny things. Um, w- so we've uh, we've started using more a, a different technology called uh, silicon carbide (SIC) and um, and gallium nitride. These two technologies will definitely revolution. They are revolutionizing the power industry. And they will, it has a vertical growth for the next year. Some, some things like memory and some other industries uh, within the fab, within the semiconductor world, will see ups and downs throughout the next year because of what we're going through economically uh, around the globe. 
but the power semiconductor industry that's driving the the automotive industry, the electric vehicle and the, the automotive industry is 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 vertical. Um, they will see con- vertical growth. Uh, there's companies like Wolfspeed you may be familiar with. Um, they're they're going in 100% into silicon carbide, and um, this this new technology will um, be great for the semiconductor industry. Um, it, it's it's kind of it's it's old. Uh, the 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 architecture that they're using is old architecture, and the, we haven't just the process of being able to use silicon carbide. Um, they've just now kind of perfected, and so that's one of the reasons we haven't used it in the past um, because it had many hurdles to overcome. Uh, they 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 found this t- this this new substrate called silicon carbide and gallium nitrite, but now they're really perfecting it, and they've um, the if you look at your just think about five, eight years ago, whenever you bought a Apple computer, you got a giant brick, right? A brick that plugged into a wall that was a power adapter. Now you have this little, now you have this little square box. Why is that? Because they're using new technology like gallium nitrate and silicon carbide um, to, uh, because of, of the the heat, the way that it, it dissipates heat. Um, best, obviously, the the best substrate, the best semiconductor substrate is diamond, um, which is also being used as well. Um, I had an interesting conversation, an interview with a guy named uh, Adam Kahn, who's who is the founder of Kahn Industries, and they uh, they are making diamond semiconductors. It's incredible. Um, but uh, you know, you think of stuff like. Um, uh, space and 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 you know things that will go into the upper atmosphere and and those types of things that will be usually widely used for um you know the, the diamond is is very good at being radiologically hardened and so um there's a, a lot of different areas that the semiconductor industry falls into and a lot of people say that you know I, I wrote an article the other day about the semiconductor industry in general they're like you can't do that because it's so individualized everything's you know you, you have your power semiconductor sector you have your memory sector you have your your um you know your processor sector you have you have a lot of different areas of the semiconductor industry but um i kind of try to look at it as a as from a thirty thousand foot view and, and write about it from a thirty thousand foot view than than uh, individualized areas um, because there's, there, but there is so much going on in the industry. So we will see some, some fall in the semiconductor industry, um, and some consolidation, I think, uh, within the next year, um, because of, you know, the, the way that the global economics are going right now, um, we're, we're already seeing layoffs in, in some, some companies that have, that have been announced and, um, that'll continue. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it just seems that, you know, what I've seen, what little I know about semiconductors and, and, you know, I, I'm more on the, you know, the AI, I'm sorry, AI on the software area, but Hmm. what I've learned is that the U S has become more of a safe haven for a lot of these companies to move their chip producing at least to the U S because of, you know, and I don't want to get into politics, but at the end, you're not going to run into geopolitical issues in the U.S. as more of a safe haven to be able to produce your chips and continue yeah. to produce. Even I think Mexico has been identified as an area to produce chips. And they're trying I think the president now is trying to, you know, uh, um, speak to some of the chip manufacturers, and say, hey, you know what? Mexico can do it, too. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, my, my big question to you is um, in the semiconductor industry and how they're producing and innovating is it more because right now it, it seems like in me just understanding the industry it's everything still binary you know we're still producing to a binary world what is the innovation more in what we're trying to produce with ai and trying to produce what we currently have with the standards or the innovation coming in quantum computing and quantum systems and i don't know if there's a difference there within the CPUs or the the chipsets. I mean, is there a major difference between what we would be seeing in a quantum world versus what we're going to be seeing in the AI current standard world that we're operating in? Well, what, how does that how does that work? 
they'll, they'll all be very different. Um, there's going to be, you know, obviously you still use the same processes for making those things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're still going to have physical vapor deposition. You're still going to have to use a, a tonic layer deposition and physical vapor deposition and different chemical mechanical polishers to be able to make these chips for all the industries. Um, but they do have very different architectures and different styles. For instance, uh, there's something called FPGA, uh, Field Programmable Gate Arrays. Um, it is essentially an open source chip that is formed by the software. So you upload a software package to hardware and it forms the hardware of the chip. Um, so think about it. You launch a chip into space, you upload a software package and you, gen- you change the physical hardware of the chip. And like, so that's kind of a new technological thing that's coming out. That's going to be a big deal because if you're familiar with what's going on with IOT, the internet of things, there's going to be over a trillion IOT devices in the, and by 2030, 2030, 2035, somewhere around there. Um, that's going to be incredible to try to keep up with, um, especially when uh, uh, from conception to market is about a three-year process. Um, and and being able to, FPGA will be able to cut that in about half to where you have just an open source uh, FPGA chip and the guy is able to, the, you have a, a designer that's able to um, code uh, a software package to it and then just upload it to your IOT device and then boom your IOT devices is compatible you don't have to go to a fab and have a you know a, a specific chip designed and and then manufactured and everything they can just generate millions of these FPGA chips that are are programmable um and able to change there so you have a lot of different there's a there are a lot of different things going on you have FPGA you have quantum computing you have um, uh, different power semiconductor computing. Um, you have, you know, all these different types, but yeah, there's, there's very many different sectors and they're very, um, are, are they still connected? Yes. I, I say they're still kind of connected within the semiconductor industry because they do use the same processes, mm-hmm. uh, of, of, uh, you know, uh, making the chips, but, they do use very different architectures and very different styles of, of doing them. So, yeah. If I may, um, uh, I, I want to just maybe uh, take the risk and just put it out there that, you know, uh, because of this bottleneck that we're experiencing where we want to get to the other side of the bottleneck, one of the solutions that we might need temporarily or even permanently is to go back in time and start using analog system in order to supplement this digital semiconductor chips with an analog uh, system that is that, that, that's going to be able to, if my dream comes true, which I hope it does, is that these analog systems will actually provide these local IoT devices with capabilities that it doesn't have right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that also kind of plugs into that idea of, okay, why do you need better semiconductor chips than previous ones? Because you have your energy consumption. Mm-hmm. Energy consumption that you have with your AI machine learning, and if <laughs> I may um, give one example, would be that to train a AI machine learning to the level of say something like GPT-3 will mm-hmm. require uh, vehicle usage of three to four families of their lifetime. As in, that's how much gas or energy we will use in order to train a large language models uh, uh, for AI machine learning, right? Um, so, so that that's lots of energy that's being used um, to teach certain models, which is big type, uh, big, bigger, uh, bigger size models, uh, to perform to the level of Chat GPT, GPT three, and stable diffusions, right? Um, so lots of energy is going into it. So that's why we need that bottleneck to have the supplement of a analog system that doesn't require as much, but it is actually is possible. Well, let me actually use that too, right? Digital system is binary, zeros and ones, where the analog system is most likely 99% right, but it tries to correct itself as it tries multiple times. So so when you have a a, a zeros and ones and then 99% chance of getting it right, um, you you get somewhat of that AI machine learning, which is actually the human-like 
performance. As in we as a human, we're not zeros and ones. We're not 100% confirmed. We're always 99% confirmed. We just perform with most accuracy and high confidence, right? So that's yeah. the analog side of machine learning or analog side of semiconductor chips, right? To supplement the digital semiconductor chips with something that doesn't use a whole lot of energy, but is able to perform to the 99% effectiveness, right? Mm -hmm. and, and come up with a different variable each time, right? Mm -hmm. um, I just wanna throw that out there because energy is what's uh, 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 going to cause the most conflict as much as conflict that we're talking about today with semiconductor chips being built, not in India, but in China, but China is banned from using semiconductor chips according to the US regulations. And uh, you know anybody that does business with US for semiconductor chips will not be working with China on their semiconductor chips. So you have this geopolitical conflicts that are coming up, but this geopolitical conflict will be uh, stalemate sort of a geopolitical conflict unless, unless we can figure out how to reduce the energy it consumes when it comes to using AI machine learning or when it comes to having quantum computing uh, laboratory being built in, let's say somewhere in Massachusetts, Boston, right? Um, yeah. I think there's a whole lot to talk about, but we are getting to that exciting piece of, you know, like, hey, where are we right now? What's happening? What's possible? But when we start having AI machine learning come up front to the, uh, uh, let's say, social media, like you see social media is blowing up about chat GPT. Everybody's talking about AI machine learning, how cool and effective it is. Yet we need to start thinking of what's in that layer one, right? Layer seven, OSI model, everybody loves it. You know, uh, we, we see layer six, we see layer seven, everybody loves it. But what's happening in layer one where that actual device is sitting and computing all this data uh, and providing layer three and four with their effectiveness, um, energy, hardware, these sort of uh, conversations we need to have more and more of because when you say $200 billion being invested into the semiconductor chips industry in the US, well, we need more, right? We need that. We need more of these investments to come in so that way we can figure out a system, a research and development system that is able to say, you want to build semiconductor chips. We cannot wait three to four years to create a fab, to create a process where we can deliver the uh, semiconductor chips on time, right? We need to have a way of saying, yeah, semiconductor chips, we got it. Just like an iPhone, we'll build it tomorrow, right? Um, we, we want that research and development to happen. And I think more we discuss this upfront with, you know, uh, I guess people that will invest, people that will design it, people that will join into the conversations down the road as a student, say like, you know, I'm a, I'm a ninth grader. I'm interested in writing my papers on semiconductor chips. You know, those are the kind of involvement we want. We want more people to get involved in layer one right, to get more out of the research and development, more effectiveness, more uh, energy, sustainable energy, right? That's the keyword I'm looking for, uh, to have this involvement with brains that, you know, is able to develop the next level of semiconductor chips, not in three to four years, but three to four months, right? Mm -hmm. Design it in Arizona, build it in California, design it in California, build it in Texas, wherever it is. That that a bubble of semiconductor chips we need to develop needs more investment, more people to learn about it, more people to engage and start helping to do more research and development of. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely, the 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 industry will will continue to to grow. Will artificial intelligence? I think is going to drive the semiconductor industry greatly um in the next 12 months i i think it is, we are going to see a huge shift towards ai and with this shift and the amount of data collection that is going to come into play um in the next 12 to 24 months is going to be um i i think that they're underestimating right now um <laughs> the amount of data that they'll that they'll need and the amount of chips in the servers that they will to be able to uh, keep up with with what they're doing right now, um, I think it'll be incredible trying to keep up with that. So, I have a question: who Who do you think is the big boy, the five hundred pound gorilla right now when it comes to producing AI and also having an edge in producing chipsets? Because I the in, the first person I can think of right now is Tesla, because they they they're the 
they seem to be producing actively. There's a lot of different vendors or manufacturers producing or, or producing AI or AI models, but it seems like they're the ones actually, actually also producing chipsets. And it, it seems like they have an edge in the industry, but I don't know. I mean, that's just a consumer perspective. You know, yeah. who do you, who do you see really, you know, driving the, the industry? I mean, there's companies like Cerevis that's working on the hardware technology for, for artificial intelligence. Um, but I, I was recently, I recently did an interview with Navid, uh, Dr. Navid Shwani, the CEO of Rapid Silicon. And he said he was recently in China in a, a certain district of China where it's very high tech community and a lot of industries where, where he was at. He says every fifth company that he was walking down the street, you know, every fifth company was an artificial intelligence company. And he says he was absolutely amazed. And wow. so there's there's comp areas uh, that are being heavily invested in. Obviously, companies countries like China are investing heavily in, the, in artificial intelligence. Um, and then you see a lot of companies, you know, like ChatGPT doing really well, and 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 you know, a lot of big companies jumping on that uh, that that train trying to, you know, Microsoft just, you know, threw in billions of dollars into chat GPT and, and, uh, you know, the, what is the other one? It's, um, uh, deep brain. Is it deep, deep, uh, deep brain, uh, Google, right? The one of the Google deep learning, deep, deep brain. I think that sounds about right. The Google one, correct? Yeah. Google, deep brain. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're going to, you know all the, all these companies that are kind of hiding in the woodwork right now. They're they're going to come out big, I think, um, and and fairly soon. Um, well, I think you know if we can if we can draw a picture here, the 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 the, the buzzword here is AI machine learning, but be, be, between the layers is NLP, right? It's that mm -hmm. ability to communicate without keyboard, communicate straight to your laptop, communicate without really having that hesitancy of did my computer understand me or didn't understand me and the responses are completely out of whack right that that has that revolution has already started because now we're talking about we ask a question to chat gpt and chat gpt is able to perform to a level of satisfaction which is you know a lot of people think it's it's boundless but it does have this perimeter it does have its limitation as far as how it can effectively uh produce an answer right so mm -hmm. be it answer be it coding be it uh, writing you an excel sheet be it drawing you a picture on stable diffusion they all have their boundaries but the thing is you know it's it's performing to the level that what do you do next Right. Once you have chat GPT, now you start speaking into it. Now it speaks back to you just like a human will. And mm -hmm. that's that Alan Turing's definition of what artificial intelligence is, that you're able to communicate with the system and not even realize there's actually a system that's communicating, not a person. Right. That's the Alan Turing's test of successful measure of what an artificial intelligence is. So NLP, that communication piece, um, it will require these sort of semiconductor chips because mm -hmm. Not only is it the fastest semiconductor chips, but also one that we can widely manufacture, as in manufacture for mass use case, right? As in we can put that semiconductor chips um, inside of your Siri and Alexa. We can manufacture that enough to say, you know, you can have it on your IoT device that just hangs on the wall all the time, really. It doesn't really do anything else other than take temperature of the room, right? Um, you will need to manufacture for all the IoT device that we just talked about, right? Um, so, so the communication piece of it, all the devices are able to communicate with each other and perform to the level that you don't feel the latency, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's what we're working towards right now. And that's what needs to happen over time as we see these investments that are coming in, right? Um, once a system is able to communicate, you know, it goes into saying, tell me what you see. Well, I see this. Where do you see it? Well, I see it thousands of miles up in the space. I see a star and I can describe that star to you without you ever being there. But you can trust me, the information I'm giving you is correct one, right? Because the latency is so low and our ability to communicate with the system becomes just like a normal routine, like the way we use our cell phone, right? Um, yeah. You know, when we reduce the, uh, the energy consumption of these systems, now we get to do um more more of the hardware that is you know smaller almost invisible right uh if i can have a a vr set on my eyes and i'm able to see the laptop in front of me um 
you know, the only device that I have is a VR set. And forget the VR set, we might have augmented reality just on your phone, right? Your phone is able to project a bigger screen for you and you're yeah. able to see what's in front of you without ever using a monitor. So you are reducing the energy consumption, not only by semiconductor chips, but also all the devices that you have to charge <laughs> every eight hours to 24 hours right um, so th those are out of equations those iot devices requires very little amount of charging and you're using them without really plugging them in and charging them every eight hours or having them plugged into the wall where you need electricity all the time um yeah. it's changing the whole aspect of society and, mm. and and i love that idea that the fact is you know we are in the cusp of it we will experience this in our lifetime mm. <laughs> so yeah. Are you, that's are, you, I to say. are you familiar with edge the edge computing that's exactly oh, my favorite mm -hmm. topic yep yeah that's that's a big one right and we're we're, we're no longer having to transmit this da data from your alexa all the way to some server somewhere all the way back now we're we have the edge where we're able to uh, restore that data and a lot of that information and it's, it doesn't have to you know you're, you're reducing the amount of transfer the amount of data that has to be transferred in the distance and everything else so yeah, data that has to be processed data that has to travel right data in motion data at rest now you reduce the data at rest because you've taught a intelligent system on how to perform without using all those data that's at rest because yeah. having data at rest also means you have to have a data center that is always connected to the electric grid and that's a whole lot of electricity yeah. <laughs> um we can talk about this all day long. I guess uh, we have to make a plan for like an eight hour long podcast. just to <laughs> get Well, excited. you know, something we haven't covered and we, we've, we've started adding to our podcast is discussing, you know, recent events, something new. And something I did see recently, which was interesting, was, uh, and it touches on what you just covered, um, as if it's. There's a, they're producing a new um, contact that you can place in your eye, like a regular contact, and it gives you, when you look outside of your peripheral, it gives you the perspective of a screen and a digital output. And they're working on the semiconductors and the chipsets to be able to power this thing. And this new technology is just, I mean, it, it's unbelievable. You take a contact and all of a sudden you're in, you know, you're in, you're injected into whatever you know, system you want to be, whether it be um, some kind of network or a virtual in instance of a network, but you can now connect with the contact. And I thought that was amazing. I mean, to have chipsets, we have a hard enough problem trying to get a contact in our eye that's a regular size. You know? <laughs> and so I could see that that easily moving to a glass, you know, a, a version of a glass, maybe like glasses, but the technology is there and it, you know i've tried using other things like uh, i'll give you a bad example um ray-ban came up with the glass glasses that would facebook what you could take pictures they had a little camera and the, the thing with that is it, it you only had limited time of you know you could of usage time maybe an hour and a half and then the thing was done it had little speakers but you know, to, to know that at some point we're going to have chipsets that could go into a contact is just mind blowing. And we're going to all be there. And, and the way I see it, you know, they're producing it now. So you figure three years, like you said. So in three to five years, we'll have that that aspect mm -hmm. and it'll be normal. Yeah, the Google Glass might come back and who knows, maybe it'll be better than how Google Glass disappeared. Uh, what, only less than a year later, right? Um, Google has a lot of failed product, but Google is the ultimate source of all the energy used in machine learning and AI because they have lots of AI machine learning that you know they utilize in their data centers. Um, I, I think that if it wasn't for the heat, right, the heat issue that the chips will heat up, <laughs> you mm -hmm. can have chips anywhere in your body. Matter of fact, there's a camera that uses AI machine learning that is so small. Um, it, what, it, what it does is actually uh, takes a somewhat of a decent picture and makes it just very effective right by using AI machine learning to fill up all the missing pixels oh. of the of the picture the camera and, and the camera is supposed to go inside of your body so it doesn't necessarily take the picture that you see but it utilizes the AI machine learning to fill up all the gaps in the fuzziness right to say like you know whatever picture you see you might not see that 
through the camera, but through the software and AI machine learning, you'll be able to actually see the picture the way it's supposed to be seen. Um, yeah. One example of that is um, when we saw the black hole for the first time in 2021, right? The picture that we took, it, it, it was not a single camera looking at a single picture, right? Or a single black hole. It utilizes, I think about 28 different hard drive, right? From all over the world. Uh, bringing those 28 hard drives together and creating a single picture where it actually captured a black hole in action. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that's a sim similar uh, similar theory is that what goes inside of your body is the camera. It takes a picture and it utilizes AI machine learning to put this picture together for a way to a doctor to confirm what they're um, you know theorizing, right? Could be a cancer or not a cancer, or it could be a bone damage or whatever the case is. Um, just a whole lot of possibilities coming through the pipeline right now. And these are all going to bottleneck somewhere. And that bottleneck is most likely, well, I'm, I'm very confident. It is semiconductor chips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh, and like you said, a, a medical technology will just be revolutionized with, with AI. Um, and, and the medical hardware that we're going to see coming out will just be absolutely amazing. Um, we, we're going to uh, we're, we're going to see a big change in in how we use medical technology and how it's going to affect our lives greatly. We will see we will see people living living longer. We will see uh, you know diagnoses being you know diagnosed very early, or super early stages that couldn't be done you know with the human eye and and you know it, it will require artificial intelligence to be able to um find you know to put those diagnoses together but the these these new hardware the new hardware they're going to be using that are going to be created through all these semiconductor chips you know using these semiconductor chips will will be um big changes in the in the future in the near future what i was listening today to something somebody said that uh i believe he said eight years correct me if i'm wrong but did you hear that before that eight years artificial intelligence suppresses the human brain the human as far as intelligence is that right um so so the calculation that i think is similar is that it will it will take over about 87 million jobs right as in artificial intelligence will take over 87 million jobs that people will not need to perform anymore. Mm -hmm. But in order for that to happen, there will be 97 million AI machine learning jobs that will open up yeah. in order to have that happen, right? Yeah. Just like you will have devices that will disappear in front of your eyes because you no longer need them because the semiconductor chips that you have on a single device will utilize all the different IoT to make your life as comfortable, if not more comfortable than what yeah. it is today. And the, the jobs will, you know, slowly disappear. And I'm not talking about uh, jobs that are like, you know, uh, minimum wage or, or someone like that. We're talking about lawyers. We're talking about doctors. We're talking about nurses. We're talking about high level paying jobs, even CEOs, right? Um, I can bet on that because I really believe all the AI machine learning we're developing is to develop decision-making capability. And yeah. CEOs are known for decision-making. And if you can have the best decision-makers in the room and that is not a human, CEOs are replaceable as well, right? Um, so, uh, but, but to add to that equation, what I will say is that AI will most likely uh, take your job if you're not that guy who's working with an AI, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if you're working with AI and you're helping the AI to do its job, you are more likely to be, um, uh, more in control of your career than somebody who's not working with an AI. As in, you know, you have no boundaries with AI. As in, you don't, you don't, you don't collide with an AI to say either I'm going to help the AI to develop, or AI all of a sudden just shows up and takes your job. And I think it's happening slowly, but that exponential point will hit once we get to the semiconductor chips that are being installed for edge computing purposes. Right. Mm -hmm. um, um, that's that's going to happen sooner or later. And I, I, is that is that what you're kind of going into? Is that what you're trying to bring up? Uh, well, I mean, some, so kind of in reference to what you're talking about, we need 400,000 people in semiconductor alone. Right. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, just just the semiconductor industry and the explosive growth that we're going to see in this industry in the next uh, 10 years will be incredible. But um yeah, uh, definitely. And kind of reverting back, going back to what you were talking about earlier, um, you know, we we're talking about the growth of the semiconductor industry. Um, 
we we see a lot of people always come to me and they say, oh, we're going to have too many chips. We're building these fabs all over the world and there's just going to be too many chips made. Do we see a glutton of chips and too many chips being produced? Maybe for a little bit. But whenever you take in this to consideration, this whole digital thing going on with digital currency and data collection and 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 artificial intelligence data collection and all these other things that we see going on, there's a huge demand for chips. We're going to see a growth. We're 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 adding we're adding a fab and we're adding building a fab in Austin, Texas. We're building a couple of them in Arizona. We're building one in Ohio. Where Micron just committed a hundred billion dollars in New York. Um, we're seeing, this is just the United States, um, Germany and, you know, Europe, is, they're all adding fabs as India is adding fabs everywhere is adding, building fabs around the world. But, um, do we build all these fabs and, and then have, you know, with, with the amount, the growth of, of the, this industry, I think in five years, we finished building these fabs in eight years, we're going back saying we need more fabs. <laughs> <laughs> Because right now there's this big demand right now. Everybody's saying we need more fabs. We need more fabs. Hurry, let's build these fabs so we can produce these chips. And and they will, uh, yeah. And, and eight years from now, we we see that happening again. And and yeah, it just it doesn't stop. Now, what do you see? And this is the coming from the left side. Now we we have a good idea of, of what semiconductors are and what they can be, and you know at least innovation. You can clearly see. But what do you think about, and I know this is coming away, I, I, a few iterations, I can't remember when, I remember reading something about a, a, a chipset that was designed from the human brain. They're using neurons to produce chipsets and they were alive. Yeah, neuromorphic it was, computing. I'm sorry? Neuromorphic computing. Yeah, what do you think about that? That's, it's wild. Um, in fact, it was pretty cool going to UT. They were talking about some of that at University of Texas when I was out there. But it was funny. It's still kind of a black hole. I was just in Munich, Germany. I was sitting at the CEO roundtable. So I'm sitting there listening to all these CEOs talk. And somebody brought up the neuromorphic computing. And all these CEOs looked at each other and go, what's that? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I had no clue what it was. And these, are, these are the CEOs of the biggest billion dollar companies in the world, um, like semiconductor billion dollar companies in the world. But uh, they, yeah, I was, I was fairly surprised they knew nothing about it. But neuromorphic computing is definitely, it, it's using the same architecture. Now you can do it hardware and biologically, you can use the biology of really using um, brain tissue with neurons and using it that way, but it, it, it's really copying the using an architecture that copies the 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 way that our brain synapses works mm -hmm. and 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 being able to use it that way. But there is actually a you know they're actually using one of the tests and, and ways, ways that they're trying to figure this out is using real brain tissue and, and figuring out if they can use this for computing. And, and, uh, and so, but uh, mostly right now, uh, the growth in neuromorphic computing is in the hardware um, that is in the architecture that you're, you, you see that the, the synapses and the way that we're able to mm -hmm. uh, use, utilize our brains, the, they're trying to use that similar architecture within that hardware. You know, I, I remember reading something about it and how they went from brain matter and then they went to skin to where they could get what they needed from the biological neurons or, you know, something to be able to create the, the synapses. And they tested it and they, they, they proved that the biological chip would actually was had an edge over the chipsets that we had now. They would actually learn faster. Yeah. They built up the connections to play Pong faster than the actual chipset and i thought that was amazing i was like look it, it, it we win anyway but you know it's cool to see it's cool to yeah. see how that you know that's just edge that's bleeding edge i know but it was so it was such an interesting read for me yeah yeah and they they they're it, it will you know they'll, they'll keep trying to to move that way mm -hmm. i'm sure and we'll, we'll continue to see hear more about that yeah. um i i think it's kind of definitely on the very edge of, you know, <laughs> this is a, a, a little bit of Star Wars kind of thinking yeah. right now, but there's, um, there's uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of possibilities of how that's going to change. 
in the in the future but uh yeah it, it's it's wild to think how how and you know the brain is the most efficient it's it, it's all about efficiency right and, and being able to have those electrons you know and the way that those electrons work in the the brain is absolutely the most efficient uh way of doing it and so if they can mimic that why not right and and, and find ways to to utilize that this is some incredible stuff. So tell us, uh, you know, are you excited about it? Ay, 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 ay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's the that guy, guy. So with that, I I cannot thank you enough for joining this conversation. I mean, like I said before we started this podcast, we do it for entertainment for me and Lucky. <laughs> But it's because we are very passionate about this topic, right? Because um, technology, wherever it's heading, will be there, right? Regardless of what direction it goes. Um, but as a you know, steward of technology, we want to be able to pass on the right information, good information, and frame that information in a correct method and ways. So that way, you know, there's some reality behind it. So we're not just going all over the place trying to say Terminators and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Will Smith is coming, um, trying to take over the world, right? Um, well, with that, um, I'm going to sign out uh, with I-I-I-I-I because I'm still excited. <laughs> <laughs> It was great. It was great seeing y'all. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And, and thank you. I've, I've learned so much and, uh, I, 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 I don't know if I lost my enthusiasm, but, uh, I'm a little, my brain's a little exhausted after this one. And thank you. <laughs> it was good. See you guys in the next episode. <laughs> I, I, I. <laughs>